Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. I'd like to thank the people from Ashley and Martin for helping me grow this. Um, <laughs> All right, Jaden, you can hang on to that. You look like you need it. Right. Look like you need some help. Hey, how are you going? Everyone traveling well? Excellent. Good to see you this morning. Now, Quick question, how many of you had breakfast this morning? By show of hands, give me an enthusiastic wave if you had breakfast, all right? Turn to the person next to you and ask them, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Go ahead, 30 seconds. What did you have for breakfast? Was it scrambled eggs on toast? Was it Uncle Toby's oats? Maybe uh, almond croissants? Or did you have, uh, what, fried noodles and fried chicken? Or did you have Krispy Kreme donuts, all right? I, I didn't have breakfast this morning. And in fact, I haven't had breakfast in a very long time, because about three years ago, I started the uh, intermittent fasting thing, which has been really good for my health, but man, I miss breakfast, right? Uh, Breakfast was hands down my favorite meal of the day, and as a pastor, I used to do a lot of breakfast. I had breakfast with friends, I had breakfast with our congregation, I had breakfast with other pastors, and some of the most like meaningful, life-changing conversations I've ever had have taken place over an omelette and an orange juice, right? Now, over in the New Testament Gospel of John in chapter 21, we see Jesus having a breakfast conversation with one of his closest friends and one of the very first followers of Jesus, a man by the name of Peter. And Peter is like hands down my favorite character in all of the New Testament, right? Peter, when you read the gospel account, uh, becomes very quickly apparent that he was a guy who loved to live life with his heart on his sleeve. He was bold. He was like confident. He was outspoken. He was energetic. He was enthusiastic. He was what I call a, a ready, fire, aim kind of guy, all right? Peter was the kind of guy who would speak first, think later. All right, how many of you know somebody like that? You might be married to somebody like that, all right? Just full of confidence and self-assurance and outspokenness. And of course, it was Peter, you know, who when um, Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem, where he ultimately would end up being crucified, uh, it was Peter who said to Jesus, you know, Jesus, we will never allow that to happen to you. Jesus was trying to tell his disciples that this was about to take place. And Peter was like, no way. We're not going to let that happen. And Jesus said to Peter, listen, Peter, don't get so full of yourself. Before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times, okay? And uh, of course, it was Peter who, when Jesus was arrested and was uh, handed over to the Jewish authorities to be persecuted, it was Peter who, in the Garden of Gethsemane, pulled out a sword and and, and chopped off the ear of, of one of the servants of the high priest who had accompanied the Roman soldiers to the garden to arrest Jesus. I don't know where he got the sword from, but clearly Peter thought something was about to go down. And so he brought a sword, right? And he chopped off the servant's ear. Uh, thankfully, Jesus kind of bent down, picked up the ear and stuck it back on the servant's head and said, Peter, that's not what we're about here, okay? Um, but you know it's going to be a, a crazy day in church when people start showing up with swords. Um, Of course, it was Peter as well who, you know, when the disciples found themselves out on the lake in the middle of a storm in the early hours of the morning, having been fishing all night, um, it was Peter who saw Jesus coming to them, walking on the water. He had been up on a mountain praying, and he had noticed the disciples were uh, struggling and battling in the heart of this raging storm. And so the Bible says Jesus had come down from the mountain, and he walked out to them on the surface of the water. And Peter, when he saw Jesus coming, called out to him and said, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. I mean, talk about a harebrained idea. And Jesus said to him, yes, Peter, come. And so Peter climbed out of the boat in the middle of a raging storm, 
and he walked towards Jesus on the water. Of course, eventually he started looking around and realized, I'm in the middle of a storm, and he began to sink, and Jesus lifted him up and saved him. But that was the kind of crazy stuff Peter did, okay? And of course, Peter, on the road to Jerusalem, when Jesus asked his disciples, hey, who do, who do people say that I am? Uh, some of the disciples said, well, you know, we've heard rumors that people think you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But Peter chirped up and he said, no, 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 you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God, right? And so Peter had this profound revelation of who Jesus truly was. So that was the kind of guy Peter was, right? He was bold. He was confident. He was outspoken. He was self-assured. And when we meet Peter in John chapter 21, in this breakfast conversation with Jesus, it's a different kind of Peter. He's a lot more contrite, a lot more humbled, a lot more subdued, and a lot more broken, and there's reason for that. But before we dive into the conversation, I need to just take a moment to kind of set the scene and explain the context. Otherwise, the conversation is not going to make any sense. Now, this particular conversation takes place after the resurrection. So Jesus has been to the cross, and He has died. And three days later, he was raised from the dead. And so you can imagine what an incredibly disorientating and confusing time this would have been for the disciples. Certainly none of them thought that Jesus was actually going to be crucified. Even though he had tried to tell them on multiple occasions, this is why I'm going to Jerusalem. It's going to get bad pretty quick and I'm going to die there. They honestly did not think it was going to happen. Because they thought he was the Messiah. And given all the miraculous and powerful and wonderful things that he had done, it never occurred to him that this might actually take place. And so when Jesus was finally nailed to the cross and when he died, all their hopes, all their dreams, all their aspirations, everything that they had invested in Jesus and attached to Jesus suddenly came crashing down around them in a single moment. And so you can imagine how unsettling that would have been for those disciples. And of course, they began to fear for their lives because if they could kill Jesus, then they might be next. And so they were overcome with fear and confusion and disorientation and uncertainty. And no sooner had Jesus died than three days later, he was raised from the dead. And suddenly there were rumors swirling around Jerusalem about multiple people who had seen him and some had spoken to him. And so all of a sudden they were confronted with this unexpected reality. Certainly, if no one had expected the crucifixion, none of them expected the resurrection. And so the disciples had been down to the very depths of despair, and they had been to the heights of elation, and they had been through all the confusion and the disorientation between the two. So you can imagine, right, what kind of emotional state these disciples are in. Now, on this particular morning, when this conversation takes place, the Bible says the disciples had been out on the lake, and they had been fishing, and they had been fishing the whole night, and had caught nothing. And a man appeared on the seashore and began to call out to them and to tell them to throw their nets over on the other side of the boat. Now, it was Jesus standing there, but they didn't realize, possibly because of the distance uh, that they were from the shore, or maybe because Jesus had his head covered. But all they knew was somebody was standing at the shore yelling at them to put their nets in on the other side. And so they figured, well, maybe this crazy guy can see something we can't see. And so they took their nets out and they cast him over the boat onto the other side. And the Bible says they instantly hauled in a massive catch of fish, like a miraculous catch of fish. And as soon as they did, Peter realized, that's Jesus. That's Jesus on the shore. And so he gathered up his cloak, which he had taken off, and he wrapped himself in it. And he didn't even have time to row the boat back to shore. He just literally jumped over the edge of the boat and began to swim to the shore. And when he got to the shore, he realized, it's Jesus. And Jesus had made a fire 
on the beach, and he was cooking breakfast. What an awesome idea. Can you imagine that, fish and chips on the beach with Jesus? What a, what a cool idea. And so the disciples eventually made it to shore. They all climbed out of the boat, and they sat with Jesus on the beach, and they ate, and they talked, and he spent time catching up with them. And then when the meal was over, Jesus called Peter aside and started this crucial conversation with him. So let's listen in. John chapter 21, verse 15 to 19. Said, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And of course, we know from history that Peter was crucified, only crucified upside down for his faith in Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, follow me. Wow, what an interesting exchange. And what intrigues me about this conversation is the catalyst for it. The reason why Jesus took the time to initiate this conversation with Peter, and really there are two reasons. And the first reason is because Peter had disappointed Jesus. Peter had disappointed Jesus, at least in his own estimation. As far as he was concerned, he had let Jesus down. And the reason he felt like that was because on the night that Jesus was arrested, the Bible says they hauled him off to the court of the high priest to take him before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious leaders, where he would be accused of blasphemy and tried and ultimately beaten. And the Bible says that when Peter went to the court along with a multitude of people to watch what would happen to Jesus, that three separate people confronted Peter about his connection to Jesus and challenged him and said, Peter, aren't you part of his mob? Aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter three times denied knowing Jesus. He said, no, not me. I've got nothing to do with him. I don't even know him. In fact, on one occasion, he even swore, dropped the F-bomb or the Hebrew equivalent, whatever that was, to try and demonstrate he was, he was in no way associated with this rabbi Jesus. And after that third denial, the Bible says that a rooster crowed. And Peter was reminded of the words of Jesus on the road to Jerusalem when he said to him, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And as soon as Peter realized what he had done, the Bible says he was cut to the heart and he began to weep. In fact, it says he wept bitterly. In other words, he felt the intensity of his own failure and that sense of disappointing Jesus. In fact, Mark, when he writes in Mark chapter 14 and records the, the, the fateful events of that night, in verse 53 to 54, Mark says, They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and elders and teachers of the law came together. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. Peter followed him at a distance. 
I was so struck by that statement when I, I read it. Peter, for, for three years, had been in the inner circle of the inner circle. He, along with James and John, had got to see things that none of the other disciples would see and hear Jesus say things that none of the other disciples would hear Jesus say. He had such a close, intimate, personal connection to Jesus. And yet here, suddenly, Peter feels the need to put distance between himself and Jesus, to disassociate himself from Jesus. And I wonder if you've ever been in a situation like that. I wonder if you've ever felt like you have disappointed the Lord. Have you ever felt like you've fallen short, dropped the ball, maybe not measured up to the standard of expectation that you think He has of you? Do you ever feel like you've denied Jesus, maybe not with your lips, but with your lifestyle? Have you ever found yourself putting distance between yourself and Jesus? And by that, I don't mean like you stop believing in Him. I just mean you, you withdraw from Him. Like you withdraw from that place of intimacy with Him and, and obedience to Him and dependency on Him. You just put distance between yourself and Him. It's a very human thing to do. In fact, I think we've probably all done it at some point where we withdraw from Jesus and, and put distance between ourselves and Him. And very often the reason we do that is because of our desire for safety. Because Distance produces safety. That's why when you know, you're driving down south or heading up north, you'll sometimes see at the side of the road there are these warning signs reminding you to put a safe distance between yourself and the car in front of you. Always maintain a safe following distance. Why? Because distance creates safety. And so sometimes we, we put distance between ourselves and Jesus, not because we feel like we need to protect ourselves from Jesus, but because we feel like we need to protect ourselves from the consequence of being associated with Jesus. Because you know as well as I do that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, there's an inherent element of risk in that. Right? Following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. Because if you publicly and unashamedly follow Jesus... You run the risk of being misunderstood. You run the risk of being rejected and isolated and ostracized. I mean, people in your own family, people in your circle of friends, your work colleagues, they might ridicule you. They might push you to the margins. They might overlook you. They might shame you. Right? Because Jesus said, hey, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And so if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to be willing to accept the cross, he said, listen, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself daily, pick up your cross, and come after me. When he sent his disciples out into the world, he said, I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. In other words, there's an inherent risk in following Jesus fully and unashamedly. And so sometimes we put distance between ourselves and Jesus because we feel the need to protect ourselves. And friends, if, if your goal in life is to preserve your comfort and your convenience and your reputation and your self-interest, then following Jesus is going to be dangerous. <laughs> because often following Him means putting those things on the line and putting those things at risk. And so what distance does is it creates a disassociation, and that disassociation gives us protection. It's like when my son was five years old, you know, we would walk through the shopping center together, and he had no problem holding my hand. And we would like swing arms and chat and laugh and play. And then he turned 13. And all of a sudden, we weren't even allowed to be in the same shopping center as him. 
Right? He would say, Dad, I'm going to the shopping center, and you and Mom are not allowed there for the next three hours. <laughs> he didn't want to be seen with us, right? If we were walking anywhere together, he'd walk like five meters behind us, right? Because, dis- because distance creates disassociation. And so sometimes we put distance between ourselves and Jesus because we have this desire for safety. Sometimes it's not the desire for safety, but sometimes it's just the deceitfulness of sin in our lives. The fact that there are things in our lives that are, that are not becoming a follower of Jesus. We've allowed attitudes or behaviors or habits into our lives that we know Jesus would not be pleased with. And so we try to avoid him in order to avoid the confrontation. It's like, have you ever been walking in the shopping center? And you see someone you know, but it's someone that you maybe borrowed money from that you haven't repaid yet. Or somebody who sent you an email inviting you to an event and you haven't replied to the email because you really don't want to go to the event, but you don't know how to say no. And then you see them coming towards you in the shopping center. The first thing you want to do is what? Duck, <laughs> right? Because, because you, want, you know there's something out of sorts in the relationship and so you want to avoid them. I remember once many years ago, back in South Africa, when I got my first car, right? It wasn't a particularly good car or a nice car. In fact, there were elements of the car that were unroadworthy. And so I was driving one day along a major road and was heading somewhere, and I saw a police roadblock up ahead. So the police were stopping cars, and they were doing breath tests and checking licenses and roadworthiness, and I knew if I get caught in this roadblock, they're going to they're gonna ping me. They're going to pull me aside. They're going to find me, and they're not going to let me drive away because my car was unroadworthy at the time. And so I thought, what am I going to do? And just before I got to the roadblock, I saw there was a road off to the left, and so I just ducked left down the side road, right, (laughs) off the main road. Now, this was back in the day when there was no Siri, no GPS, no Google Maps. I had no idea where I was going. So I ducked off down the side road, and I had to weave my way through the suburbs. And, and this journey that should have only taken 15 minutes ended up taking 45 minutes because I had to avoid <laughs> a confrontation with the law. And so sometimes we put distance between ourselves and Jesus because we know there are things in our lives that just aren't becoming a follower of Jesus. And so we distance ourselves from him. And I wonder if you've ever felt like you've needed to do that. Maybe because you feel like you've disappointed him. Maybe because you feel like you've let him down. I think if we're honest with each other today, we'd have to admit we've all been in that place where we feel like we failed him in some way, haven't lived up to what we think his expectations of us really are. And so Peter had disappointed Jesus. But not only had Peter disappointed Jesus, I believe the second reason why Jesus called this conversation is because Jesus had disappointed Peter. Jesus had disappointed Peter. Not because of anything Jesus had done, but just because Peter had all these expectations of Jesus that were now unrealized. Right? Peter was hoping that Jesus, as the Messiah, was going to be the liberator of Israel and that he would deliver them from the occupation of the Romans. Peter had all these ideas about who Jesus was and what Jesus should do and how Jesus should behave. And of course, when Jesus went to the cross and died, all of those hopes and aspirations and dreams were just shattered. And so as far as he was concerned, Jesus had disappointed him. Jesus had failed to live up to the expectation that he had of him. And I know it's a crazy thought that we as human beings, fallen, fallible, broken, imperfect human beings, would harbor offense in our heart toward Almighty God. And yet we do. God who is righteous and perfect and just in all of his ways. And yet we question his character 
We doubt his timing. We wonder about his sincerity. We get angry. We get hurt. We get offended because God didn't show up the way we thought he should show up. God didn't provide when we thought he should provide. God didn't heal when we prayed and asked him to heal. God didn't do what we thought he should do. And so we end up like Peter, disappointed and maybe a little disorientated and confused. And I reckon if we're honest with each other today and honest with God, we'd have to admit at some point we've all felt somewhat disappointed by what we thought God ought to do that he did not do. And so Peter finds himself in this situation, confused, disorientated, disappointed in himself and disappointed in his God. But you know what I love about Jesus is that he doesn't ever leave us in our disappointment or in our discouragement or in our disillusionment or in our doubt. No, the resurrected Jesus comes looking for Peter and he sits down with Peter and he has this fascinating conversation with him. In fact, he says to Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds to him and says, Jesus, yes, I love you. And when you look at that, you might be forgiven for thinking, well, Jesus is just simply giving Peter three opportunities to redeem himself. Three opportunities to declare his love to compensate for the three denials. And maybe there's something of that going on there, but I think there's something much more important going on here. Only the problem is it's somewhat lost to us when we read it in our English translation. Because in the English translation, we only have one word for love. But in the original Greek, in ancient Koine Greek, which is the language in which the New Testament was written, there's four or five words that are translated love. And each one has a very different meaning and connotation. And so when we read this in the original Greek, this is how it reads. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you agapas me? From the Greek root word agape, which means to love unconditionally. To love without qualification. It's the kind of love that God shows to Jesus, the kind of love that Jesus shows to us. It's the unconditional, unchanging, eternal love of God. And so Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you agapas me? Do you love me with an unconditional, unqualified, undying love? And Peter replies and he says, Jesus, I phileis you. From the Greek root word phileo which means to love as a friend or to love with brotherly affection. The Greek word phileo is the word that we use when we're talking about our love for things. So if you love pizza or you love almond milk cappuccinos or you love Manchester United, you don't say, I agape pizza. You say, I phileis pizza, right? And so, so Peter responds and he says, Lord, I phileis you. I love you like a brother. I love you like a friend. And so Jesus asks him again for a second time. He says, Peter, do you agapas me? Do you love me with an unconditional, unqualified, undying and unrelenting kind of love? And again, Peter responds and he says, Lord, you know that I fellace you. I love you like a friend. I love you like a brother. And then for the third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you fellace me? Do you love me like a brother? Do you love me like a friend? And Peter, the Bible says, is hurt and frustrated and no doubt disappointed by the change in Jesus' question. But he responds and he says, yes, Lord, you know everything and you know I fellace you. I love you like a brother. I love you like a friend. And essentially what Peter is saying there is he's saying, Jesus, 
my love for you is not the same as your love for me. Jesus, I'm not sure I can ever love you with the same unqualified, unconditional, eternal, unchanging, undying love with which you love me. Now, of course, if if Jesus had asked Peter that question before the cross, Peter would have been like, yes, Lord, (laughs) I agapas you. My love for you is eternal and undying. In fact, I love you more than any of these other people. My love is assured and certain. That was Peter before the cross. But Peter on the other side of the cross is a far more contrite, far more humble, far more broken, far more honest Peter. And you might read that and think to yourself, oh man, Peter's blown it again. Made another mistake because here Jesus is giving him the opportunity to pledge his undying love to him to make up for the denials. But friends, I think Peter got it absolutely right. Because perhaps for the first time in his life, he's being honest with God. No bravado, no pretense, no self-assurance, no facade, just honesty and authenticity. And here's the point, friends. It doesn't matter how many times you think you have disappointed Jesus or how many times you think He has disappointed you. Jesus is not looking for perfection in your performance. He's looking for authenticity and honesty in your spirituality. Because at the end of the day, your inclusion in the family of God, your inclusion in the kingdom of God is not based on the quality of your love for Him. It's based on the quality of His love for you. Your redemption, your salvation, your inclusion is not dependent on the quality and consistency of your faithfulness. It's on the basis of His faithfulness. And so you may be sitting here today and you may be like Peter, feeling disorientated, confused, maybe disappointed or even disillusioned. But today the resurrected Jesus has come looking once again for His lost and disorientated sheep. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.com.